Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience, continuing our Wednesdays with fantasy football today on the line from theathletic.com. It is Jake Seeley breaking down his top overall rankings for the upcoming 2020 fantasy football season. Never too early, probably too early to be talking about fantasy football rankings, considering no draft, no free agency. Uh, the combine is currently ongoing, um, and we don't know if all these guys are going to be on the same team. But wait! That doesn't get in the way of some decent content yelling about fantasy players. If you out there want to get into a draw for 20 DraftKings dollars, smash the like button for the video. Leave your DraftKings handle in the comment section. Tell me if Christian McCaffrey, if we agree that he's the number one overall pick in half-point PPR, who is your number two overall pick? I'll let you guys fester on that one for a second. 20 DK bucks on the line. If you want to get into a draw for 100 DraftKings dollars, subscribe to the Pat Mayo Experience audio podcast. Leave a five-star review, DraftKings handle, something you enjoy about the Pat Mayo Experience, and you'll be in a draw for 100 DraftKings dollars. Winners announced every single Monday on the Pat Mayo Experience. Easy stuff. Jake Seeley, theathletic.com. We're recording this before because you are currently at the Combine, I think, unless something <laughs> bad has happened. No, <laughs> I, I, yeah, actually at the combine, although I'm also rocking my baseball stuff because it's baseball season too, all over the place. Unlike you. Yeah. No one cares. No, they don't. I'm actually, I wish I was in your boat. I wish I was only football at this point, but I'm, I have not, moved on, I'm, not, I'm not only football. <laughs> well, I mean, golf. Yeah. I, I tend to cover a sport that is like more popular on the internet than baseball is. Exactly. I was just, I meant like only football for what I talk about. Sorry. You have football and golf well, and your UFC that you do do other stuff too. I meant for the two quote unquote bigger sports. But as you said, the golf is, seems to be more popular at this point. I told people they were asking me what to do in the football season. You know what I told them? I didn't tell them to go play baseball. I said, go watch your videos and start playing golf. Yeah, golf is way more fun. It's the one, and if you are into football, then golf is perfectly set up. It's like three days of like building a lineup, and then you enter a lineup, and then it's good for four days instead of like eight hours for football. But it's the same sort of idea. Like you wait all week to submit a lineup or make a few picks, and then stuff happens. It's not like, oh, I need to log in to make sure this guy isn't on my bench today, but tomorrow I need to get my pitcher in, but no one's going, so I have to put a relief pitcher in. Like, good God, like just shoot me in the head. <laughs> Well, it could go the other way, too. Honestly, if you did the there are weekly lineups in fantasy baseball, but then there's the downside of that. It's like, oh, my guy got hurt on Monday and he's out for the rest of the week and then you get zeros for the rest of the. So there's really no good way to do it. I, I, I like I, this is why I play golf, because I enjoy the sweat, I, the quote unquote sweat, you know, seeing if you guys make the cut, although I'm still terrible at it. Yeah, most people, myself included, who do it are terrible at it. But, you know, it's still a lot of fun. <laughs> it's no different than fantasy football. No, you're you're right. I just I feel like I should let you know which of your guys I pick because I seemingly always get one or two that misses the cut. Yeah, everyone does. That that's the hard part. If it was easy to get all six through the cut, it'd be a very easy game. It's not. Let's that talk. True. Let's talk football though. You have your overall half point PPR rankings. Way too early rankings. Half point PPR at theathletic.com. What's the code that people can use for you? Uh, well, they can use all in sports, but that's only 30% off. So if you go to the baseball draft kit, you don't even have to like baseball. Just go to the baseball draft kit and you can get 40% off. I mean, you didn't even need to say that. You could have said 30% off with your code. Get, get those royalties. 
I, I mean, I do like to save people money. I'm, I'm here for the people as much as people don't think I am. And I'm just I'm an ornery dick. I do actually try to help people. All right. Top 10 you got for half point coming into the year. Number one, as mentioned before, is Christian McCaffrey. That seems very logical. We'll get to talk about all these guys individually. Delvin Cook, Saquon, Michael Thomas, Zeke Kamara Henry, Chris Godwin at eight, DeAndre Hopkins, and Nick Chubb at number 10. What was the hardest part about filling this out? I would guess it's who's number two, right? <laughs> oh, yes. Who's number two? Yes, that, that was the because you can look at it as a couple ways. You could say, all right, well, the Giants are going to address their offensive line. They know they need to. They got a ton of salary cap room to do so. They have a whole new coaching staff situation where, you know, smarter offense, whether or not they're going to get the ball more is Saquon Barkley, who should be healthy. Nick. And there's a lot you can say. Saquon Barkley arguably could be number two, but from what we just saw with Dalvin Cook, and I know Stefanski's gone, but I don't think they're going to change that offense too much. Dalvin Cook, we saw. Dalvin Cook, we know. And whether or not they have a backup behind him, he's going to get in the ball all the fastest of the game. This is whether or not Stefan Diggs is there. There's just a lot to say that, you know what, Dalvin Cook's the safer. I think Saquon Barkley arguably has more upside, has a higher ceiling. But there's still so many questions with that offense, let alone the fact that you go back to Daniel Jones. And, you know, what if he's turning the ball over like Jameis Winston, but with fewer touchdowns and this team is struggling to score touchdowns for Saquon because Daniel Jones can't hold on to the damn ball. So I got to say, like, that was the toughest. It's just saying, like, is it between? The, I think it's only between those two at this point, though. Yeah, and we'll give you some leeway to flip-flop as a, as more information exposes itself throughout the course of the preseason. And then, you know, after the draft, maybe someone takes a giant leap. I don't know. Maybe maybe Saquon gets cut. Who knows? But as of right now, <laughs> the, I guess the big case to me would be everything that you would want from Saquon in terms of what he can do in the receiving game that we didn't see under Daniel Jones. Let's say that becomes a focal point in the offseason for the Giants. Like, hey, we're going to utilize Saquon out of the backfield with Daniel Jones like Eli used to. I mean, a part of it was Eli couldn't really do anything else besides dump the ball off. So that was a big boost to the fantasy value of Saquon Barkley. But even if you could get Saquon around like five to seven targets a game out of the backfield, at that point, he's just Dalvin Cook. So I can see why you have Cook over Barkley. Well, and also, if you talk about it too, just in one fewer game, he had one fewer reception than Dalvin Cook. And if you look at it too, Dalvin Cook was healthy more than he, Dalvin Cook missed two games. But Saquon Barkley, when he came back from his injury, there was a lot of talk that he did it too fast and that he wasn't 100% till the stretch down the way. And at that point, it was around that range. So, again, I think that you're looking at the fact that the downside is Dalvin Cook, but Dalvin Cook certainly is safer. The upside is definitely greater. I don't If you told me you were going to get the same amount of games from both of them and even without a change in the way that he was used, but just a healthy Saquon Barkley, I think he finishes in front of Dalvin Cook. It's just there's a lot more. The floor is lower, so it's just going to be your taste of which way you want to go. Now, of course, again, you talked about if they address the offensive line, which helps them a little bit, too. Like Solder was just a freaking worst one of the worst signings we've seen in a while for offensive line and that's you know hey the Giants are going to make stupid decisions but assuming they address the offensive line I, I could easily see Barkley pushing in front of Cook by the time we get to August well there's also a few rumors swirling that Dalvin Cook might pull a Zeke or a Melvin Gordon and try to hold out on the Vikings and if that's the case just like don't take that guy I think we've learned that enough <laughs> over the past few years Oh, yeah, because no, they'll be fine by week one. And then, yeah, all of a sudden, like, nope, that's not happening. Like Melvin Gordon last year, it's a little bit different with Dalvin Cook. But as soon as we start floating those rumors out there, we have plenty of time to see how legitimate they might be. But if we get to 
uh, basically training camp and it's still he's not showing up, uh, then, yeah, I would actually just forget about it. I would just go Barkley. So you go three running backs to start, then a receiver, then three more running backs. Michael Thomas is that number four player. Which me leads me to believe with the way that you've tiered these rankings in terms of the separation of running backs, wide receiver, then the running backs, that Michael Thomas was purely in the mix for the number two overall pick, too, which I don't think is a terrible idea. I don't think it's a terrible idea either. Now that we, it's a good time we had this show and didn't do it a week ago before Drew Brees went on the Instagram with all those cool kids and announced his return. <laughs> so, so Drew Brees coming back, that's all we cared about with Michael Thomas. Uh, if you wanted to, t- you know me, we've done this for how many years, Pat? And I said I would never do it. And you a lot of times in the past years, a couple of years ago when Antonio Brown was Antonio Brown and didn't lose his, did basically go batshit crazy. Uh, that's you were saying Antonio Brown with the number one pick if you wanted to and then circle back. But Again, if you want to take Michael Thomas at number two, I'm not going to say you're crazy to do so. I would never do so. But to your point, I think if you look at it, this past season proved one thing about three players. There was such a wide gap from Lamar Jackson, Christian McCaffrey, and Michael Thomas to the number twos at all three positions that Michael Thomas, that's why he's in the conversation. If you wanted for the safety, I mean, look at it. If we're talking about Dalvin Cook with the, hey, he might sit out. We're talking about Saquon Barkley. Is he 100%? What does Daniel Jones a full season do this offense? Can it improve the offensive line, the changes with the coaching staff? If you want to say, I'm just going to take Michael Thomas at number two and know what I'm going to get, I don't have a problem with that. A lot of the times when you can take a receiver towards the top end of the first round, a lot of it is dependent on the running backs that are available towards the end of the second round at the beginning of the third round. Now, if you play in auctions, obviously this is a null point. You can just pay for whoever you want and go about it that way. It just depends on value uh, in those circumstances. But we're talking about snakes. Like, what is it, like 92% of people still play snake drafts? Although you know, anyone who plays an auction is not afraid to tell you, like, listen, auctions are the way to go. Uh, anyone who doesn't play in an auction isn't playing in a real league now i don't know about the real league part i prefer auctions i know you prefer auctions but when we talk about this stuff, I, I, it's funny that i have to get this out here in the world because if it could auction people are very territorial about auctions be like i you a real football fantasy football league it's like well i mean none of it's a real league it's fantasy football <laughs> like get over yourself oh it was like oh uh, yeah there's so many of those like uh, go back to you want to get those people go play fantasy baseball again pat does it uh, you gotta play with two catchers it makes a tough decision They're like no it doesn't it just gives me piss ass number two catcher like this the same thing like everybody wants their way look i say this every single year i write an article yearly about the best settings for fantasy football that's my opinion. People ask for my opinion. You don't have to play that way. You can play whatever damn way well you want. If you want one starting quarterback and 10 flex spots, do what you like. Do what you enjoy. Auction, you, you know this. The reason people like it and people wise, like they think they're so superior, is because the truth is it does open you up to anybody you want to go for. The biggest thing is snake is that if you're not the number one pick, maybe number two, if somebody gets kooky with the number one pick, you have no shot at Christian McCaffrey. That's what auction is. I, everybody can be in if they want to get Christian McCaffrey. If you had design, like you say, you write the article, what are your preferred settings? Uh, so I go one quarterback, two running backs, three wide receivers. And then I do, instead of a tight end, I do a tight end wide receiver flex spot. And everybody's like, oh, well, they did that. No, it just opens up the conversation. It doesn't really hurt it that much. It I just like opens it. up the conversation. I, I know, like exactly. It. I don't like it. it during, it's, be, it's mainly because of the 16 bye weeks. You have the conversation of Will Disley versus uh, who's a good like Cole Beasley. It opens up those kind of conversations just so you're not hamstrung, similar to Superflex versus a two-quarterback league. So it's just not killing you in those weeks and hoping that you get one touchdown for 14 points off the guy who got three catches for 40 yards because the tight end is what it is. And to tell you the truth, 
with the next flex spot and a super flex. So we still have the flex, but we add a super flex is I actually had somebody in my league this past year who ran out two tight ends, despite the fact that you didn't have to ever start a tight end. So, uh, and then I rescored that. You have to go look at the article. I rescored defenses for everybody that complains about defenses because they're just so wildly inconsistent and it doesn't value the right things. I don't feel like, I feel like defenses were done a while ago and we've never really gone back down the road of saying, you know what? Probably wasn't the best design from day one. So I rescored that. And then of course, band kickers, no kickers. That's where the super flex replaces the kickers. I actually like that roster construction. So one quarterback, two running backs, three receivers. I would have the tight end slot, a flex, and a super flex, no kicker defense. I think that's pretty good. How many bench spots do you do for that? Five? Six. Even 16 16 per team. Okay, so six. And, of course, the wild card rule for the playoffs. Let's let's assume that it's a 12- or 14-person league. Now, do you have a preference between four playoff spots or six playoff spots in a 12-person league? Because 10 should always be four. 12, you could sell me either way. I still kind of prefer four. I still, I like six for the two buys, but we also, for our home league, and we voted on this two years ago, the first and second rounds are just top scores. There's no matchups. Okay, that's that's kind of interesting. So the way that I, I like the 14-person league, because you can have six playoff spots, and you just play everyone in the league once. There's no, oh, I drew the easy end of the schedule. I get to, you know face the three bottom cronies another two another time oh, we'll toward. see that's why yeah I I, do I, I, I I don't like your stupid fucking double header it's it's dumb <laughs> it takes away from the fun no. of fantasy football it really does. no it, it, it really this, does. this sounds I'm like someone this, this sounds like someone who's like you know what baseball is all right but the only thing i care about is stratomatic baseball and that's what's actually important it's no, like, no it does. Part, it's of the fun about, part of the fun about no. fantasy football is that you get fucked by the shitty team in your league who play some guy who's hurt at tight end or running back or something and you still lose you anyway. still do you still do, but in this case, the, the entire point is that if you get the second best score and you just happen to face the guy who scored 160 this week while you scored a buck 55, you still go one and one. Because the doubleheaders for people out there that don't know, the second win or loss is the top six scores get a win, the bottom six scores get a loss. And the good thing about it is, as you just mentioned, it's not even just that. You still get your head to head. It's also watching while, forget being the second best score, you lose 160 to 120. But you see one dude who faced the guy scoring 85 and he wins 90 to 85. Well, guess what? Both of those teams got a loss and you get a win. To, and it works out the past two years. Works out terrifically. We actually have had a, a, a team that would have not made it and then vice versa, whatever. I, I know you don't like it. There's a lot of people who don't like it. I think there's a lot more people who, once they hear it, do. Again, it's not – I hate the all play for with you. Like, that, then why do you even play? Just do rotisserie football or something like that. But the double headers is just to get some of that – oh, you just got to happen to face the worst scoring team and barely squeaked by while I got to face the juggernaut. Because the scheduling, whether or not it's 14 teams or 12 teams or 10 teams in your league, the scheduling is random. And it's not, there's, no, there's nothing to it. It's like when you might get screwed one week. I think that there is a variance part of fantasy football and football in general, which still makes it super appealing. Like We've seen a lot of throwback against... like One of the main reasons that baseball has become... And listen, we're both culprits of this, like the advancement of sabermetrics and statistics and accurate predictions in baseball based on a lot of these advanced stats have really taken a lot of the fun out of it for people, especially (laughs) the people who don't understand what these stats are trying to tell you and why that why they're predictive. Then the front offices get a hold of it. And then everything in baseball just becomes three outcomes. And it seems like the push for this kind of thing is to make fantasy football fair. Fantasy football is not fair. That's sort of the appeal, that I can still 
join a league with my friends that I've had for like 20 years. You have the guy who basically shows up with a, a magazine at the draft who, you know, he, he tends to come like in the bottom three every year. He's also won twice. Like some years it works out. Uh, and a lot of the times he was the team that didn't score a bunch of points, had a really good record, got some good matchups, got hot in the playoffs, and he won. Like there's a part of fantasy football that is supposed to be like that. That is a part of the fun. So I think that the wild card rule solves all of this, like you still need to win your games when you go out there. If you score the second most points in a week and you face the guy with the most points in a week, you fucking lose. That's that's the problem. So you're going to have to live to deal with that. You don't get like a, a half win out of it. Like It sounds real soccery, and I don't like that whatsoever. So the wild card rule that we implement in our league, 14 teams, six teams make the playoffs, best five teams by record get in, then the team with the most overall points, regardless of record, gets the six seed. And in the playoffs, right. not we reseed, but almost like they were trying to do, was it baseball? Yeah, it was baseball who came out with it, that the first two teams get a bye, but then the three seed would get to choose who they want to play in their first matchup. And in the second round, the one seed gets first draft of who they want to play that week. So instead of reseeding or have a bracket, part of the benefit of getting the bye and being the higher seed is you get to choose your opponent. Yeah, I'm okay with that. The choosing the opponent's never been a big thing for me because also, I mean, it's you just talked about you just went on your rant about it, like how fancy football is what fancy football is. You choose your opponent, you still might lose anyway because no, 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 absolutely. You are absolutely correct with that. There's going to be variance within it, but like I can just speak from the example of my home league this year is that the guy with the three seed ended up playing me in the first round and I was the wild card. I think I was like four and nine but I had the third most points in the league. And they were like, well, right. he's like, I got screwed. Like, and I absolutely mollywopped him in the first round. Uh, but <laughs> like, but we had a team who was like, had the fifth best team by record, like was incredibly shitty. Like that's who you wanted to play. I think they scored like 60 points. Like they had a couple of wins by like two points throughout the course of the year that if you were in that position, you wouldn't take, you wouldn't want to play the team that scores 400 more points during the regular season. You'd want to play right. the crappy team. Look, like again, this comes down to how you want to play. I'm not against that, and I like double headers, but I play in a lot of leagues without double headers. It's kind of how you want to play. Like we're just throwing these things out there as ideas. We are both 100% on with the sixth seed, the wild card team being the most points scored, not in the playoffs already. I'm 100% with you on that. Always have been. Uh, I again, my home league. Everybody's at first. I think the vote was like eight to four, but now everybody loves it. Everybody loves the double headers, but there's still people like you who hate them. I could go either way with the picking your opponent uh, for a good reason, too. You could all argue the other way, too, is it's not just the points. I mean, you could have two teams with the same amount of points, but they limped into the playoffs because the final two weeks of the season, they lost both their top running backs or something oh, yeah. like that. And then you're like, oh, damn, I, I definitely want to face that team. So I see the appeal and the fun in it. And I actually think it, the, the, the fun side of it, too, is if you do pick the weaker team and then you still get blitzkrieg like that, that's actually kind of funny. So I like the appeal of it. But I, again, just play how you want to play. Yeah, it, it really does come down to that. Like you said, we're just kind of throwing out options here. But anyone who says that they have the best way of playing is just I mean, they don't think that they're lying, but it's a very subjective take on all. We've gotten away from the main discussion of the top overall players here, though. I do want to throw out, injury aside, what's yeah. the downside of Christian McCaffrey that doesn't make him the number one pick? There is none. 
There is. There, there, there always is. There always is something no, like, like I Car- maybe Carolina's offense is different. The defense gets a little bit better. Uh, the offense isn't constantly from behind. McCaffrey's not either piling up all this yardage on the ground, or even if that's not the case, he's piling up 12 catches through the air. Cam comes back. Cam is healthy again. He steals some of the touchdowns at the goal line. There are devil's advocate cases to be made. Now, I agree with you that he's the number one pick, but you know, there's always, you know, LT was the number one <laughs> fantasy running back until he wasn't. You know what I mean? No, uh, but again, so they, I mean, like LT was for multiple years. So you asked outside of injury. That's the only, I, I disagree. That's the only thing. He was six points per game ahead of the next closest person. Do you know how bad of a drop-off he has to have? And that was without Cam Newton for most of the year. Cam Newton does throw to the running backs. So he doesn't check down. He doesn't do it as much as Phillip Rivers, but he does. I don't care who the quarterback is because he was just playing with two of the worst quarterbacks we've seen playing for teams like at least last year in some time, and he still put up what he put up. I have no qualms, no concerns, no whatever you want to throw out. There is nothing, a zero, zero chance that there is anything that knocks him out from the number one outside of being hurt or it takes an exceptional leap from cook or saquon or potentially saquon, Elliot. I think that, saquon that, that, turns into ladanian thomason sure but i would actually throw zeke into that mix as well like you have zeke behind michael thomas uh, and if we were doing this with tears i suppose that you know just deconstructing your rankings like i would be I might put Michael Thomas at number two, but I think with the way that your rankings work, that I would have Michael Thomas at five instead of four because I do think that Zeke is closer to Cook and Barkley in terms of like safety and potential upside than he is to Henry and Kamara. I think safety, yes. Uh, the biggest thing that I have with Zeke is that for now, uh, basically, where's the ceiling? Like, what what is the ceiling? Uh, is Zeke going to do much? Like for people forget about it. I'm looking at it right now. 54 receptions last year, which is actually a downtick from what he's able to do. But I mean, really between the last two seasons combined, the last two seasons, Zeke kind of tops out at like number two or number three. He just doesn't seem to have the Christian McCaffrey upside in the receiving game, or even the Saquon Barkley in the receiving game, even with the Cowboys being who they are. And that all oppressive offensive line. It's not scoring 25 touchdowns. So I kind of think just Zeke is, he's almost inherently capped sure like i don't think that he would be any sort of contender to be the number one overall guy based on right. what we've seen but we've seen you know, different things a lot of this has to do with touchdown variance and that's one of the great things about christian mccaffrey is that if you took away all of his touchdowns from last year i think he was still the number two overall running back which is kind of key of what you want yeah a hundred percent and look let's not kid ourselves like what if he goes through the fluky reverse season where he kind of like Aaron Jones it but Aaron Jones it in the touches that he's also getting all of a sudden Zeke does score 22 touchdowns next year but I, I again I, I think that's kind of a, a lofty goal even for Zeke. yeah like, like if you're paying for an outlier putting in an outlier upside performance like it's much easier to always factor in a downside outlier performance because injuries happen and they happen randomly and they happen to everybody in football especially at the running back position that to say yeah Zeke could be the number one player but he needs 24 touchdowns to do it's like well yeah of course but what's the likelihood of him getting to 24 touchdowns based on what we've seen in the past and just based on historically how difficult that is to do that right and just two years ago I think the, I think it's more likely he goes down than he goes up because just two years ago, what was it, six or seven rushing touchdowns? It's just 
he seems to go the, the more likely is the down scenario for him than the up scenario. Well, in that case, you have Zeke, you have Kamara, and you have Henry. Like, I think out of those three guys, if you said that one of them was going to get to 20 touchdowns, the answer would be Derrick Henry. If he's still on the Titans, I'm assuming that they're going to end up re-signing him, maybe. We'll <laughs> I think see. they have to. They're stuck. They're stuck. But, like, they if they franchise him, then they can't franchise Tannehill. Like, that, there's something weird with that because it does seem like they want to keep Ryan Tannehill as well. At least for one more year. I mean, they, I think Tannehill is more likely to work out a one-year contract. I, I say they're stuck. It look, it wouldn't shock me if they don't keep them because the NFL at this point has they. We know what they're holding there. We know that they don't value the running back position, and why should they? The way that the NFL and the CBA is set up, there's no reason to value the running back, especially with this year's. Like, I know we're not talking about, it, and this is without rookies. But as just a quick sidebar, there's three rookies I can easily see sliding into the RB1 territory before the like, depending on where they land. So just saying that if one of them lands with Tennessee and they cut Deion Lewis, too, I mean, honestly, you could argue whoever that is, whether it's Swift or Taylor, whoever it might be, is going to end up being an RB1 right alongside, I would say, Josh Jacobs level. But it wouldn't shock me for that reason. But I kind of feel like the way that he fits their offense and the way that an offense is set up. I don't think they want to risk that like Taylor doesn't fit the same way. And so that's why I kind of say like they're stuck because they know what they got and they know how it works. But the franchise, as you mentioned, seems to be the best option. Like, do we really want to give Henry five years and whatever, 65, $70 million? No, nobody does, especially with the size that he is. He's probably going to break down in two years. But I think it's easier that they get Tannehill on like a one year, maybe a two year contract front loaded then the, and then franchise Henry. So I kind of feel like he's back because, like I said, I feel like they're stuck like scheme wise. They could be. And it would just be making it to the AFC championship game, trying to sell that to your fan base, knowing that you got there on the back of one guy and pounding him into the ground and being like, well, we're going to get rid of him. Now, even if that's <laughs> the smart move moving forward, it's a tough sell to a lot of people. And like, whoa. Like, they're already having problems in Dallas because they gave Zeke that stupid deal because he held out and then everyone put pressure on them. And now they might not have enough money to, like, give Dak all the money that he wants. And frankly, you'd rather have the and good Cooper. quarterback. And Cooper. Like, you'd rather have the good quarterback and receiver over having the good running back when Tony Pollard could probably step in and do 90% to 100% of the same damage. Not to say that Zeke is bad, but when you run behind a really good offensive line in a good scheme and the running back is devalued anyway, just give the ball to the cheaper guy that tends to work out a lot better and you don't want to handcuff yourself like that in Tennessee right now especially because you're uncertain at quarterback and how that looks in the future like the Jets were able to do it with Le'Veon Bell a terrible contract but Darnold is still under his rookie deal for another two years like you don't have to pay that guy yet and by the time you have to pay him you can cut your running back and take that off your cap plus they have a ton of (laughs) I was gonna say I was gonna say let Darnold walk and go find another quarterback yeah well you could just do that too you do the prudent move and just do that try to like Sign Josh Allen or something and really get a good, good man, the king of New York under center, I, I Josh Allen. Did you see Did you see that? I got Tim Andercust to respond to me with mean when I tweeted that. Did you see the tweet about Sam Darnold that I put out and all his response was, was mean? I, I don't know. Was it that Sam Darnold is now starring like he replaced Wilford Brimley no. in a diabetes commercial? <laughs> no, it was the highlights from the season. And oh. I said, wow, I, w- I would have expected a shorter clip. And he said, mean. How so many I of got, the- I got, how many of them were just Sam Darnold being scared of ghosts? Oh, getting mono. The best was I got a pushback argument that Sam Darnold still hasn't played a full season. Oh, that, so that's a positive? Like, excuse me, like 13 starts two years in a row. That's how are you spending that as a positive? Yeah, I, I mean, the, the Darnold defenders, the, the Jets fans are 
just ridiculous. Like they can't even use the crutch. Sam Darnold's the youngest quarterback in football. Well, you know, that, that's great, man. If my eight-year-old played in the NFL, he too would be the youngest quarterback <laughs> in football. I, I don't see what, the, what you're telling me with this. Like either you're good or you're not, and he's not. So that's tough. But Kamara to me – I think is the single most interesting pick of all these guys in the first round. You have him at number six. I would wager he'll end up going later than that by the time we get around. Just because recency bias plays such a huge key in how our, like, I would find it hard that the average person would go into a draft, where, even if it is full point PPR, half point PPR, whatever it might be, and take Kamara over Henry if Henry is back on the Titans and in the similar situation, based on what we saw last year, like 797 rushing yards for Kamara, 533 receiving yards. He still had 81 receptions, and he did miss a bit, a bit of time, but no more than, what is this, 14 carries in any of his final 10 games? Like, it's a really tough sell, but... He had that huge touchdown slump. He ended up with six touchdowns overall. Right. If you get the positive touchdown regression back for him, and you know, maybe that's tough. Maybe this is where he's, because of the amount of touches that he has overall compared to the other top-end running backs, maybe it just makes a lot of logical sense that he scores fewer touchdowns. I mean, I can buy that argument. But even if you get a little bit of positive regression, he's back up at like 12 touchdowns. All of a sudden, right. like when, when you look at these guys – there still is a path if things break right for Kamara to be the number one overall fantasy player. It's very unlikely, but he can take a huge leap, and it seems like he's coming off his worst season that he's going to have. I, and that's the agreement that I have. Everything, and you talk about the four touchdowns, two of, that came in the last two games. So he kind of swung back the other direction in a two quick games right there. But that's the appeal of Kamara. Uh, look, Drew Brees, Drew Brees being back, I think, feels good. I a lot of don't get me started on the taste of hell people like really stop people. So Drew Brees coming back helps. Uh, the little concern that you do have, as you mentioned, is the touches. He almost is touchdown reliant. And if it does swing in the back direction or just normalizes to what it should be, yeah, you should get 10, 11, 12 touchdowns, but it was going to be two in one game, zero, 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 another two, one, zero. And I think that's what makes him volatile. So it's kind of like this to me, where I think that you're right in the fact that he'll go lower is because this kind of feels like, hey, this is the end of year ranking. Would I take him there? I don't think I would. I think I'd, hesitate, I'd be hesitant. And I'd, I'd probably either swing wide receiver, or I'm telling you, if Jordan Taylor or Dobbins or basically Swift, Dobbins, or Taylor ends up in a situation like, again, let's throw out the Derrick Henry one. Let's say they do let him walk and the Titans draft one of those three. Get rid of Deion Lewis, bring in somebody like Jordan Howard just as a backup for free agency, or maybe they draft somebody else late as well. You're telling me, I put, I'm saying this, and this is gonna, people are gonna lose their damn mind. But a look at Ezekiel Elliott, top five running back as a rookie. Saquon Barkley, top five as a rookie. You put one of those three on the Titans with the 20 touch per game workload. I would take them before Alvin Kamara, and it's I, that's why it's because of that inconsistency game to game. I think as soon as we get past Zeke. We could poke holes in all these guys. You haven't even talked about Nick Chubb yet, and I know we're about to get to him. But Nick Chubb, if Kareem Hunt is back, is it Nick Chubb, is he going to get Stefanski's like Dalvin Cook treatment, which we can hope for, and that would put Nick Chubb potentially inside the top five? Or is he going to get used like he did last year where he barely caught anything once Kareem Hunt got involved? It was weird with Kareem Hunt because Kareem Hunt was splitting snaps in the backfield with him. There was also a lot of two back sets where Hunt would just split out at into the slot and essentially just become you know, Julian Edelman uh, in the way that he was putting up points, like seven catches for 54 yards, or at least like the, the mental picture that we have of Julian Edelman in our minds when he has those like crappy games in PPR but still scores a bunch of points. That, yeah, the upside for Chubb is 
I think capped if Hunt is back. And it does look like Hunt is going to come back. Yeah, because he's getting arrested in the offseason again. <laughs> yeah, everyone on the Browns is getting arrested in the offseason. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! I forgot. Yeah, sneaking you, a body you, you, you across. Forgot, you forgot that. You forgot that Greg Robinson got caught sneaking into Mexico with a Pat Mayo-sized bag of weed. <laughs> I think you're underselling, aren't you? You're over that. You're over 157. Yeah, I'm, I'm like 162. Oh, I would have guessed 170. So I was close. I used to be. Over. I'm in much firmer shape these days. I'm doing my. No, that's why I was giving do- you the 170. No, oh, yeah, but I'm going the other. Unlike athletes, where they like bulk up to get into good shape, I, I trim down to get into good shape. Okay. All right. Fair enough. So you have Chubb at number ten. In between Henry and Chubb, you have Godwin and Hopkins. What is the big separator for you amongst these wide receivers? Because I would still be prone to have Devonta Adams at number two. Ah, this, see, the Devontae Adams, I, it really comes down to Nick Chubb and Devontae Adams. If you want to flip-flop them and put Adams right there with Godwin and Hopkins, I'm okay with that. I just go down to, look, and you know me, I've been one of the bigger supporters of Adams for a lot of times. And if you look at it, points per game, I'm pulling that up right now. He was fifth in points per game, actually behind Hopkins and behind Julio, Godwin, and Thomas. It just comes down to I don't like to be touchdown reliant, and that's why we just had the whole conversation about Kamara. And I feel like watching Aaron Rodgers at this point, I, like I feel like this team needs to address the wide receiver position because Aaron Rodgers' play in his own right is starting to decline. We've been talking about it. We've been joking about it as a fantasy community. And if he has other options, and I get this is, I guess, me trying to speculate going forward. is If we had the same exact roster for next year, I would move Adams up because he's going to get that volume. But it's kind of the Allen Robinson argument for the Bears. Like, do we really expect Allen Robinson to get that much volume next year if they address the tight end position? Or, you know, we get a full season from Anthony Miller. I just feel like the Devontae Adams with the Packers offense, like they got to bring in other options to ease out this offense, balance it a little bit more. And if that's the case, and now he's down to 20, 21% of the share, you know, does he really get that kind of volume? So again, it's a little speculative. I don't hate him if you want to move him higher. It's just that's why I kind of drew the line uh, for Nick Chubb. But again, if Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt that situation, I could see flip flopping it, and I could even see taking Devontae Adams over Chris Godwin if people still want to believe that Mike Evans is better than Chris Godwin. Which I think people are crazy if they do. I think that they're really close. the The problem with Godwin and Evans, and I'd like to see the actual split breakdown to this because i know it only happened very rarely where one of them was a number one receiver or at least how many times during the course of the season were they both a number one receiver in the same game at what was it like two or three times yeah like that that's tough and it's not that they were like bad in the other games but when you're drafting chris godwin at number two amongst receivers you don't want to have a guy on the other side of the field who could go for 275 and you know, 11 catches and you end up like two for 20 like that oh well, if we talk about the Packers the Packers did it for how many years with they had two wide receivers in the top 10 for like three years yeah but it depends on how you want to go about that like it's really tough for me as a sell like if you're trying to win week to week to week like if you're playing like best ball that's one thing I don't like best ball we don't really talk about it on this show all that often but if you're playing head Such to a head argument what that you don't like best ball best ball no, 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 no. Yeah, the best, no the people I, I, are like, oh, he's good in best ball. Like, well, everybody's good in best ball. No, but but I would, but actually, with I think with these two guys in particular, the best ball argument works for them a little bit more because the consistency factor isn't really an issue. But I think in a weekly, regular fantasy football league, it is. I say I disagree. I agree with you on Mike Evans. I disagree on Chris Godwin. Do you know how many single digit performances Chris Godwin had? Two, three. Okay. See? And that, I think Chris Godwin is the consistent one. I think if you're your argument, 
I think it's, I think you look at this and you say that's Mike Evans and that's where I'll agree with you, but that's why Mike Evans is down. What 16 overall he's down. That's why he's down where he is. Okay. Well, obviously so this all goes out the window if James Winston isn't back. Yeah. I have, how much of a factor, let's say they replace him with rivers. Like I, that wouldn't actually Ooh. feel like that big of a drop off. Cause I mean, <laughs> it's not a huge drop off, like, but it's going to depend. Rivers is just going to do the same thing. Uh, not to the same degree. I would want to know. We would have to watch and really have to hopefully get some insight on who Rivers likes better. Because I would think he would come down to it. Now would be Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. Because let's let's talk talent versus talent. I think Keenan Allen and Mike Williams versus Chris Godwin and Mike Evans, are, they're, they're not that much different. So I would still give the edge to the Buccaneers. But I don't think the gap is so wide that if you put Philip Rivers with this team, I think you would want to know who his preference is. And if it's Mike Evans you would have to downgrade Godwin. If it's Godwin, you'd have to downgrade Mike, Mike Evans because I just don't see the second getting the volume that they get with Mike with James Winston. Here's a hot take for you. If James Winston yeah. improves as a passer next year, like he improves, like he becomes more efficient, um, he just gets better in terms of like he's more accustomed to the system with Bruce Arians in year two. He's just better. I think that actually hurts both receivers because a lot of their fantasy value is tied up and James throwing a pick six at the beginning of the game. Then they just have to pass the rest of the game. Uh, I mean, you could argue that so many different ways, too. I mean, you could say the efficiency might take an uptick. Or it, also, let's talk about it. the defense still hasn't improved. The run defense is what, like, I don't care how many things they they could spend their entire draft on the secondary, and I still don't think it's going to be enough better where they're still not going to give up points. All right, so number yeah, being uh, being the greatest run defense in the league, it uh, turns out not the best idea in 2020. <laughs> no, no, maybe back yeah, maybe back in like 2005, but that's not really a, a big deal anymore. Uh, so Devonte Adams is number 11. Then you have Mixon, Hill, Fournette, Josh Jacobs. I have no idea why Fournette is this high and why Josh Jacobs is this low. I actually love both of them. I, well, Josh Jacobs just comes down to what are the tr- like? I, I can't. Wait, wait. Are you coming at me, the Josh Jacobs love fest man? About that? Like you remember last year? I was the one that like was getting blasted for having him as an RB one. Yeah, I he mean, finished his. And, and you're talking to pa- and four- you're you're talking to Pat May who had him even higher than you did. I'm just saying that he should be on that Nick Tub Nick Chubb tier with Mixon. I think Fournette might get cut. No, he's not going to get cut. He so get first cut. of all. So first of all, if you're looking at it, they're 10, 12, 14, 15 overall. That's the same tier for me. So I think we're nitpicking. That's for me. If you want to talk about tiers, they're in the same tier. So they are there for me. When it comes to Leonard Fournette, he's not getting cut. Give me all the Leonard Fournette. I'm buying the living hell out of him this offseason. I will buy him all throughout the preseason. I want Leonard Fournette everywhere next year because you know why? We just talked about it before with Kamara and all these other players. Touchdown regression. Leonard Fournette was top five for rushes inside the 10. Leonard Fournette had, what, 1,700, almost 1,670 yards, three touchdowns. That's not going to carry over to next year and be the exact same again. You give him four more touchdowns, and now Leonard Fournette is like RB6 or 7. I don't see it. Like I said, I think that there is a better chance than not that he's not on Jacksonville come the season. Mm, and well then fine good put him put him on a team that can actually convert in the red zone i mean everybody wants to talk about it for nick chubb they getting all those rushes inside the five yard line and getting stonewalled and that oh i can't believe this is happening again everybody wants to talk about that but nobody's talking about the fact that leonard Fournette was basically the exact same thing with three rushing touchdowns zero receiving despite being a receiving threat as much as ezekiel elliott was 
and no, everybody's just off. Well, I don't want Fournette. Well, fine. Put him on a better team then. Then please, yes, take him off the Jaguars. I want all of the Leonard Fournette. So Fournette at 14, on the guys that you have behind him in the rankings, I would take Jacobs ahead of him, Evans, Eckler, Julio, and Aaron Jones all ahead of him. Nah, I wouldn't take any of them ahead of him. I just told well, I know. These are, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at your <laughs> ranking, so obviously. <laughs> well, here's the thing about Austin Eckler. Let's talk about Austin Eckler because Austin Eckler in his own right – the beginning of the season, so uh, okay, I could be wrong, but here's my theory on Austin Eckler last year. The beginning of the season, it was bananas. He was number one, number two because of the usage and everything like that. I believe he only got that use because the Chargers felt like Melvin Gordon was co- – well, actually, they knew he was. They, were, they knew he was coming back for the last six games no matter what because he had to get his check. He got his year's eligibility, all that type of stuff. So I felt like they didn't care – about the fact that uh, maybe we're using him a little too much. Oh, we'll bring back Melvin Gordon. And he'll be able to split down the stretch, which is exactly what happened. And they started turning towards Melvin Gordon a little bit more. I'm not saying Austin Eckler isn't talented. I'm not saying Austin Eckler isn't going to be the lead next year. I just believe the Chargers bring in somebody. And the reason why, if you look at it, Austin Eckler, Aaron Jones, back-to-back running backs, I think they're in the same group as in. I love Aaron Jones. I told you this last year, the beginning of the draft season, I said it all year long. Aaron Jones is a player on a per-touch basis, one of the most efficient players. Same with Austin Eckler. The team, the team usage, that's my problem. I don't think either one of those teams are going to use them consistently, and that's my issue. When I figure out my rankings, uh, there is a 100% chance, and remind me if I don't have this when I release my rankings, that Mike Evans and Aaron Jones will be back-to-back in the rankings because they're the same player. They just play different positions in terms of how they score fantasy points. <laughs> well, I only have them three spots apart. So I know, yeah, but you, like, but like the, the, the consistency level for them is just mind-boggling. It's the best or not very good. No, exactly. Well, Aaron Jones was even more so. Four touchdowns and then zero. And 30 yards or 50 yeah. yards. So like, but like Julio at 18 is Julio now suffering from like the Marvin Harrison effect where we know that he's really good and he's really good every single season. There's just no more fun in drafting him. I don't know if it's so much more of that, but it also Matt Ryan starting to decline at this point and Calvin Ridley starting to increase. And it kind of goes down to the fact of now I will say this, this is early. If they don't bring back Austin Hooper and it's Julio and Calvin Ridley and depending on what they do at the tight end position, if you could get more targets funneled, then I'll move Julio Jones up. This really comes down to, you know, I have Calvin Ridley 46 overall. And so that puts him inside the top 20, 25 at wide receiver. I just think that that could be even a little bit low. I think Calvin Ridley and his talent could start to, you know, increase next year again, as we saw him this season. And that starts to pull away from Julio Jones' target share. But again, if Austin Hooper is gone and it's just them two, it really comes down to where do you have Matt Ryan's target percentage going? I think that's Julio Jones could easily move up or just stay where he is. 20 to 30 in the rankings, we have Devontae Parker at number 20, Kenny Galladay at number 21, Miles Sanders, Lamar Jackson, 23, Amari Cooper, Todd Gurley, DJ Moore, Mark Ingram, the devil. Le'Veon Bell, Allen <laughs> Robinson, and Keenan Allen. That is your top or 20 to 30 in these half-point PPR rankings. We'll curb the Lamar discussion for a second. I think like this is a very interchangeable range for me. And we'll start with the Devontae Parker you have at number 20. If you could guarantee me that Fitzmagic is the starter all year, and I guess it really depends on who they end up drafting 
in the first round if the Dolphins tend to go that route. Like, if it's if it's Fitzmagic the entire time, that's a perfect spot for Parker. If it's not him, I do worry that someone else comes in, and then all of a sudden, Devontae Parker doesn't have the same sort of consistency as he showed in the second half of last year, uh, or that rapport with the new quarterback, and then all of a sudden, it's not so great. Yeah, so if they draft Tua... 100% good because yeah. they'll probably keep him sat for the entire year as he heals up. If it's Herbert because maybe somebody jumps them or they trade back or who they surprise everybody and trade up and they go take Burrow or something like that, then obviously this kind of goes out the window and I wouldn't have him here either. Uh, honestly, the, even after going back to these rankings and looking at more and more, I don't believe – like I do actually think the Lions could draft a quarterback – but Matthew Stafford being back, people forgot he was top five in fantasy before he got hurt. I would almost at this point, again, this, so for everybody out there, context-wise, I did these rankings before the playoffs. These were the way, way, way too early 2020 rankings. So the more I thought about it, I probably feel a little bit better about Galladay with Stafford over Parker with Fitz question mark. Uh, but again, if Fitz is there for the entire year, I, I, either way, you want to flip-flop him, I don't care. Uh, if that's the case, how does Miles Sanders if Jordan Howard isn't around and Boston Scott isn't a superstar, like he might be that Miles Sanders, I mean, in a half point, like we'll talk about Joe Mixon in a second, because I want to talk about him in terms of AJ green and potentially burrow is the number one pick. But with someone like Miles Sanders, we know how valuable like bulk volume running backs are. And you made this point last year that Miles Sanders probably wasn't going to be good until the second half at the earliest. And he really wasn't even good to like the final quadrant of the season and then into the playoffs fantasy wise but if he can get that role from day one i think he's a fringe top 15 top 12 pick and i have him as rb 13 i have him as 22 overall i don't have a problem with it i'm just always going to be hesitant of trusting doug peterson that's my biggest issue is doug peterson now again andy reed last year but also because of injuries but andy reed for the first time really went away from his always use one running back the complete opposite of doug peterson but as you saw once damian williams was healthy at the end and for the playoffs he went right back to damian williams all of the time. Well, you know, coaches are who they are. And I feel like if Boston Scott now, and this isn't to be like, oh, look at me. But when Boston Scott came out of college, I said, look, he could be a Darren Sproles type. Funnily enough, he ended up with the Eagles and could be the Darren Sproles type. Well, guess what? Before, and I only bring up the Darren Sproles for this reason. Before this season, there was, I think Mag Taglier was the one who treated, or tweeted it out and said that the only running back that Doug Peterson had ever given 60% of the touches to was Darren Sproles. And it only happened three times in all the years that he's been with the Eagles. So I just go with that and say, yeah, it was Miles Sanders at the end of the year. But was it because Jordan Howard wasn't 100%? Was it because they really didn't figure out Boston Scott yet? So if they go into next season with a plan, does Miles Sanders get that workload? And that's why I have him where there is. If I knew... Miles Sanders was going to get 60, 65% for the entire season. Yes, you're right. And I would move him up. I just don't know if I can trust Doug Peterson to do that. It's just one of those situations where I think if it came down to it in a draft and both Austin Eckler and Miles Sanders were sitting on the board right now as we speak, not knowing who the Chargers quarterback is going to be, obviously, at this point, that I'd probably take Miles Sanders. And I would probably do the same. Okay, so you have DJ Moore sprinkled in here along with Amari Cooper, not knowing this is assuming that he plays for Dallas, I'm guessing. Mm, yeah, or yeah, equitable situation. I don't think Amari Cooper is going to end somewhere where he gets his value destroyed. Okay, so then you have like Allen Robinson and Keenan Allen in that mix. How like songs rivers with Keenan Allen. 
How much higher could he move from this number with someone who could potentially be a really nice fit for him or potentially move down from the number 30 spot with a really, like, let's say Tyrod's a starter? Mm, I kind of feel like this is a nice spot for him, period. Uh, No matter who the quarterback is, just because Keenan Allen is who Keenan Allen is. He's kind of the, uh, you talked about it before with the, 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 the options there and people not liking him. And I kind of feel like he's like the lesser version of Julio Jones, just kind of like a tick lower. And I think that it doesn't really matter what kind of quarterback style is. Now, again, similar to my argument with Philip Rivers going to Tampa Bay, which I'm not even sure happens, but, you know, is the quarterback that comes in, do they really like Mike Williams? Do they like the bigger body guy? Do they like the red zone threat? That's always a concern, but Keenan Allen, who he is, I just don't see a quarterback coming in and be like, yeah, I'm going to force myself to the lesser talented, despite Mike Williams being talented in his own right, but the lesser talented wide receiver, just because that's what I like. So I kind of feel like this is a fair spot for him. I think the variance would be more on Mike Williams, depending on who the quarterback is. Heck, Jameis Winston surprised, like maybe he goes to the Chargers and then move them both, move Keenan Allen up a little bit and move Mike Williams up a lot. Todd Gurley, number 25. I have a tough time wrapping my mind. Like if I was sitting there and I knew he was the best player available, would I want to take him? And I feel like the answer is no. And here's the thing. So I'm going to go back to the rookies real quick. I feel like those big three of Dobbins, Taylor, and uh, Swift, I think all three of them right now, assuming they don't land up in a spot like when Kareem Hunt was drafted with the Chiefs, assuming that doesn't happen with one of the three of them, I feel like all three for me are going to end up in front of Todd Gurley. Like between basically between Miles Sanders and all the way up to the conversation we had before with Derrick Henry, they're all, all three of them should fall in that range. Okay. Who else here? Oh yeah. Lamar 23. Where do you think he's actually going to go in like normal person fantasy football drafts? First round. I would say at the turn of the first second, I would so, say depending, like if you have the 11th pick, I can see somebody taking him just so knowing that you're not going to get the snake picks. If you had the 12th, he goes 12th or 13th. Uh, so I, ju- I feel like he'll go inside the top 15. Now, if you take him at, let's say, number 15 or number 10, wherever it might be, and he has exactly the same season as he just had, he is going to be worth that pick. I guess yes. the issue that we're going to have coming into it right now is what's a feasible place to take him for that balance of upside versus downside, knowing that for a guy who runs as much in his body frame, he could really get hurt. Just ask anyone who drafted Mahomes last year at like the end of the first round. Yeah, if he had put up 50 touchdowns again, he would have been a first round pick, but everything went right for him two years ago. <laughs> everything went right for Lamar Jackson last year as it pertained to fantasy scoring. No injuries, breaking the rushing record, throwing for a bunch of touchdowns. People in teams were just not equipped to deal with that offense throughout the course of the season until they eventually adjusted towards the end and into the playoffs. So in year two of this new system with Lamar, maybe they mix it up again. He's just as good. That's definitely on the table, but I, I can't see it. It's not that I don't care about taking quarterbacks high or you have to wait. I don't think there, there's an actual rule to it. I think if you were going to live by one, it would be just wait till the end and draft a quarterback. But that's not to say that there are quarterbacks who aren't super valuable. He's definitely one of them. He probably is the best fantasy quarterback, but he could be the number one fantasy quarterback again and not be worth a pick inside the top 25. Exactly. And as you said, to answer your question, to go back to it, I mean, I think the spot is 23. Take them at the end of the second, early the third. That's kind of where you bake in that risk because I go back to it and talk about before. And I talk the Christian McCaffrey, the Michael Thomas thing. So points per game, just NFL.com using them, 6.7 per game more than second place. Dak Prescott, 6.7. 
you know, like you take away a rushing touchdown. He's still high scoring every single week. And I think the rushing floor is what keeps him up there. But to your point, and what about the people that argued about Michael Vick way back in the day about, oh, he should be the number one pick in fantasy or the first round pick. People made that argument for Michael Vick because of the same situation of the rushing upside. Now, Lamar Jackson's is greater. But the biggest thing I think we have to look at Lamar Jackson, and you know me, the biggest Lamar Jackson fan out there, is but I'll make the same argument against him that I would make against Ryan Tannehill and that I would make against anybody with that type of touchdown ratio is it very rarely repeats. You just mentioned Patrick Mahomes. That was the argument against Patrick Mahomes for 2019 is that touchdown ratio doesn't often repeat, let alone show up in the history of football generally. So you're talking about Lamar Jackson, you're talking about the fact of 220, 240 a game, 20-something attempts instead of 30-something. That's the same argument for Tannehill next year. You look at both of them, well, you have to be concerned. Well, what if the touchdowns aren't there? Now, of course, that can offset, and he passes a little bit more, and he keeps running as much as he is, and maybe he takes another step forward, which wouldn't be surprising, but I think, to your point, the argument is there's more likelihood for the step back than there is for the step forward. So that's why I feel late second, early third is where he should go. If you wait that long, you're probably not going to get him. But as to your point that you also made of waiting on quarterbacks, guess who was basically undrafted this year? Jameis Winston finishes a top five quarterback. Dak Prescott went at the end of drafts last year. A couple of years ago, Cam Newton was in the last round because I remember I took him that year that he finished number one. So there's always quarterbacks. That's why we always say wait on them because you'll always be able to find one. Patrick Mahomes might arguably end up being the better value next year if he's going in the fourth or fifth round. Yeah, you have Patrick Mahomes at number 44. And even to emphasize your point, like I only had three quarterbacks across my fantasy football lineups this year. Uh, Jameis, Lamar, and Josh Allen. Josh Allen. Those are my three go. guys. And I mean, they, they all ended up, I mean, Lamar was an outlier being the number one, but like Jameis was top five. I believe Josh Allen finished seventh, like yeah, just, seventh or eighth, somewhere right around just, there. And he was super consistent every single week. Like he wasn't really a, a weak winner for you by having weird upside outlier performances, but I think he only actually had two bad games all year. Yeah. And that's, it's the rushing floor. Basically Josh Allen is what yeah. we say. I think, I think you and I said at the beginning of the year, he was, he's Cam Newton. Yeah. He's the white Cam Newton, or he's now the homeless man's Lamar Jackson. <laughs> the homeless man's Lamar I like that one better than the white Cam Newton. That one's good. But, like, this year, the answer to this question is Cam Newton. Oh, well, if, if he's back, well, actually, if he's back in general, I was going to say that depending on where he's playing. I, was, I try to think there was somebody else that was saying, you know, it might be, let's Baker Mayfield. Now that he doesn't have to deal with Freddie Kitchens not knowing, like, oh, I guess I'll run this play. We'll see what happens. He still has Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry and Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. Uh, uh, like, Baker Mayfield could be the answer to this question and finish his top five next year. Well, OBJ might not be there. I think he will be. Oh, there's, a lot, there's a lot of things. Jarvis Landry all of a sudden might not be ready for day one. Uh, they said that with that hip surgery, that he should be go, good to go for week one. Then Joku's back should. from the broken wrist, and he's back at full strength. So let's, let's say they return. He might be everyone. traded. Who, in Joku? Yeah. Really? For what? Yeah. Uh, just the NFL. It's, it's it's funny how much they value picks and like devalue players. They're like, oh, you know what? We'll just move on from David and Joe. Give us a fifth rounder. We'll move. Why? I don't get it. But why? It, look, the Giants, <laughs> Odell Beckham, they signed to a giant contract. Oh, we're going to trade him away. See you later. So let's talk about Baker. And I kind of agree with you, especially if the rushing upside, they have to improve their offensive line. They just lost an offensive lineman to jail presumably so <laughs> that's going to be a bit tough for him like the the like what's the image of the browns that sticks out to you the most from last year for me it's two things one is having new 
countless times being inside like the two yard line and somehow running like 45 plays on that drive yes. and never scoring a touchdown just by running it up the middle with Nick Chubb the entire time. And two is that Rams game where Mayfield not only had no time to throw, but then was like almost like Sam Darnold said, like seeing ghosts against the Patriots, but like he was feeling like mythical pass rush, even when it wasn't there and it was hurrying him up. Like, Everything that it comes down to the Browns last year it could be the mismanagement, it could be the bad play calling, Baker being terrible, the personalities on the team. But honestly, I really do think the offensive line was the single one issue that people aren't just being like, yeah, they had a shitty offensive line. They couldn't do anything. You're 100% right. And I was going to say, that's funny. the first one is the one that first comes to mind is all those rushes inside the five and inside the two and get the stonewalled three times in a row by Nick Chubb. Getting a penalty for a first down, doing another three times. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's just it's like, that's that's the thing that stuck out the most. I, I see what you're saying with the second one too, but that kind of went back to the offensive line for me. And I think the other one, as I said it before, jokingly with Freddie Kitchens, I kind of felt like if you looked at his face, he was trying to divide like 1,747 by 13 all the time. He just had no idea what he was even looking at or thinking. So I think Kitchens being gone, uh, I tweeted this in the offseason not to be like, look at my tweet, but I was saying if you could put, well, well, I was going to say if you could put the cat in the bag, but you can't at that point, but if you could ask Freddie Kitchens to move back to offensive coordinator or maybe quarterbacks and wide receivers coach, that'd be great. And the Giants are bringing him in as a tight ends coach. But I feel like he kind of needed to take a step back and he was just over his head. And I think that was clear time and time again next year. So I think this, I think the coaching change and if they address the offensive line, those two problems in and of themselves, that they're still loaded with talent. And that's why I said, I think Baker Mayfield might be for everybody that wanted to put this team in the playoffs. And I did too. Uh, Baker Mayfield being a top five quarterback, all that type of stuff. Like, he could this could be the biggest turnaround team next year Odell Beckham him being two of the bigger values and one of the biggest contributing factors to all of this was the strength of passing defense schedule that they played against and next year not going to be the same like they basically played every good pass defense in the league and that was the argument against Robbie Anderson if you remember the beginning of last year is all the corners that he had to face throughout the season and well some had to do with Sam Darnold getting mono and that team struggling in general but it ended up hurting him the entire year so Outlier pick, bounce back, could be a league winner for you selection. Beckham, who you have ranked at number 37, Mm -hmm. or Juju Smith-Schuster, who you have ranked at number 41, assuming Ben is back and he's healthy. Do I have to pick one? Can I just take both? You could take both, but I don't know if you would want to construct a fantasy team where those were your number one. And I mean, you would do like I could see myself sitting and drafting like, oh, third round, Beckham, fourth round, Juju. This is great to pair with my two right. stud running backs. I get exactly. that. I get that construction. That's an awful lot of risk to inherit, though. I don't mind it, though, because you said it. If Big Ben's back, I don't care if whatever the jokes are that he's been eating cheeseburgers all the time, whatever. Big Ben's still going to throw it a ton. Big Ben, that's just what he does. That's what this offense is. I'll say I'll go this. I'll say Odell Beckham we've seen finish as a top five. If I had to pick between the two, I would take him because we talk about this offense. We've been talking about it for the last five minutes. The one question we still don't know about Juju Smith-Schuster, and that's because Ben got hurt as early as this did, is our friend Chris Meany. Uh, with the beginning of the season when we did sleepers and bust, he said that his bust was Juju Smith-Schuster, not the fact that he was going to crap out like he did because obviously he didn't see the Roethlisberger injury happening. But he brought up a good question, which I brought up, you've brought up, everybody has at times, but some wide receivers can't handle being the number one. And, you know, the conversation like Anquan Bolden back in the day, amazing 1B, but really not that true number one. Can Juju Smith-Schuster over a full season, even with Big Ben, can he handle being the number one defensive attention, getting bracketed, getting double cut, like all those type of things? Can he do it? And I think that question is still out there. Now, 
I do think the talent is there, and I think Ben Roethlisberger does fix that for him. But it's a worthy question to bring up if you're going to force me to pick between the two. I know Odell Beckham has top five upside. We still don't know if Juju does. Tight ends, you have Travis Kelsey at number 32, George Kittle at number 34. I had Travis Kelsey at number eight last year in my overall rankings. I picked him basically at number 11 or number 12 because he would. if I had to pick at the back end of the first round, that's when I was taking Travis Kelsey. You'd be surprised how well a lot of Travis Kelsey, Michael Thomas turns did last year uh, as <laughs> it ended up breaking down if that was your start. But I think you're just way too low on Kelsey here. It's, he's the best tight end. Um, he's been the best tight end. He basically breaks records every single year. He's safe uh, unless an injury happens that I just look at it and like, why, in what world do I want to take Devontae Parker over Travis Kelsey? Why would I want to take Leonard Fournette over Travis Kelsey? I get the thinnest position. I get the best guy, the most consistent guy. And while Kittle might pass him in terms of fantasy points if he has a really good year or Ertz goes back to being dominant, that's great and everything. But if I can lock in a tight end who I know that is going to be in the mix to be number one or two or three, way above everyone else, I think there's a lot of value in that safety at that position, that I'm not like, yeah, if you had drafted Mark Andrews last year, that was a better pick because you took him so late and he was great. But you need to be right about that. You are always right about Travis Kelsey when you take him. Mm, No, I'll say it with this is because you don't do it because of last year and last year, 13 points per game. You go all the way down to Austin Hooper at number six, 11.7, 1.3 gap. And that's in half point PPR. It might even be closer in full point PPR. I'm not sure off the top of my head. Okay, but But go go look at the week-to-week consistency for Travis Kelsey. What do you have, one bad game all year? And you can say the same for George Kittle. Like, look, I understand your point. Uh, What I'm saying is what we thought might happen now, it's still the tight end position. And now if you get to 12 and 13 at the tight end position, it's God awful miserable. That goes back to the roster construction. We were talking about before, if you're a league setup, whether or not you want to do the wide receiver tight end split or not. But if you're talking about the top five or six, the, the position saw a bounce back. And I think that if you're looking for the top six, seven next year, Outside of injury, there's very little reason to think that we won't have those same guys back in the mix again, pushing Kelsey and Kittle. Now, you're either look, this is 32 and 34. I gave you my top 50, and there's not still another tight end. So Kelsey and Kittle are still very much in front of everybody else. They're in the top 35. But that being said, they're 30, 35 because the first two rounds, I think you can address the other positions and then still come back to get your tight end. I think if you do what we did last year with Kelsey, and even if you took Kittle, you take them in the first or second round, you're just hurting yourself so much at the other position where the drop-off isn't as impactful as it was, where Kelsey basically two years ago had what was worth a first-round pick. It was kind of an outlier season, and I just don't think that he's going to get back to that at this point. I just think that there is so much safety in that one pick that that should count for something when you're constructing your team. Like, maybe it's not a first-round pick. Maybe it's a late second-round pick or an early third-round pick because maybe that's where he'll end up going this year. But I really appreciate the safety of locking that into my lineup every week, not having to worry about tight end. And part of his downside was the fact that Patrick Mahomes, like, missed four games. And that's certainly our – look, Waller didn't have very many bad games six points same thing for hooper before he got hurt hooper was number one before he got hurt so again I, I, look i understand your point i'm just not going to do it if you want to do it i'm not going to tell you you're crazy to do so but i don't think the gap is as big as it was two or three years ago where 
I was with you at the beginning of last season when you were making the case for it. I told you at that time, I still wouldn't do it, but I understood it. I still understand it, but Kelsey has to have that season from two years ago to make that pick worthwhile where it's the tight end position. And now we have options when we didn't have options. I got it. I don't get it anymore. You just need to be right about those guys at the back end. Like I said, you said Hooper, you said Andrews, like those guys weren't top 10 tight end picks last year. No, but I had Waller and Andrews everywhere. Ha ha ha. Sure. They, that, that's fine. If you make those picks, it really makes up the gap. But if you were, if you were the type of person that you know, drafted Ingram or even drafted Ertz, like they aren't Kelsey. Kelsey is on a tier by himself just because he's done it year after year after year. And that's one of those things where I'm good with riding that out until it stops working. Mm, yeah, but I'm looking right now and you had the three weeks in a row where he didn't even top nine points. And then he came back with 14 and then he had a 9.7. So Kelsey wasn't even count. That's my point. Kelsey wasn't even Kelsey. And I like, again, I think the question, I think the question here is this is which do you think is more feasible? Do you think it's more feasible that these six are back next year? Maybe one, maybe it's five out of the six are back next year and top five and what they just did. Or do you think it's more feasible that two or three of them drop off and Kelsey goes back to what he was two years ago. Because if it's that, if you think that's more feasible, then you take Kelsey. If you're on my side and you think we're going to get five of the six again, and Kelsey is now what we just saw 13 points per game and not 15 points per game, then you take my side of it. I think it depends on which side of the argument you want. I I would think that there is more turnover than you're projecting right now at the top of tight end. And that's fair. I don't. Okay. Cincinnati, if they draft Joseph Burrow, number one, which Tim Anderson has guaranteed as 100% happening, so if it doesn't happen, you know why. Uh, if he somehow, well, now it's not happening. Yeah, exactly. Now, <laughs> if he demands, like, the holdout or whatever it is. But let's say they draft him, Mixon's back, and they re-sign A.J. Green. Like, right now, you have A.J. Green just inside your top 50. You have Joe Mixon at number 12 because he kind of proved, especially in the second half of the season, that he can kind of succeed regardless of who's under center. Well, how high could A.J. Green here go here? Because I don't think that Mixon's going any higher than 12, regardless no, of who's I can quarterback. See, uh, I can see Joe Mixon jumping Nick Chubb if Kareem Hunt's definitely back, and obviously where Derrick Henry lands, but you, it's going to be very minimal where he goes. A.J. Green, for me, I don't think he's going to get much higher no matter who the quarterback is. Even if you brought in Jameis Winston, I don't, I don't care. Then That's not happening. I'm just saying, like, I don't move up A.J. Green because he's missed way too much time over multiple seasons. Like, I understand A.J. Green's talent is top 10. I've, I love A.J. Green. Everybody loves A.J. Green. Nobody's out there saying his talent isn't great. But now it's been multiple seasons of getting hurt. Is his body going to even hold up for season one? Is his body and talent even 100% of the A.J. Green we used to know after all of this, too? What does this offense look like with Joe Burrow and Joe Mixon? And now that you have Tyler Boyd taking a step forward, like what is it going to look like next year where A.J. Green doesn't necessarily need to get 25% of the targets? What if a lot of it's still going to the backfield? What if some of it's going to Tyler Boyd? So I just think there's way too many ifs with A.J. Green for the people that want to push him higher. I get it, but I think that I, I think there's a lot more downside to A.J. Green than there is upside. Uh, last guy that I want to talk about inside your top 50, and we'll talk about like AJ Brown and Cortland Sutton at other points and like how high that you could realistically end up drafting them. If you really believe in their upside, but the second year player that I want to discuss is Devin Singletary. You have him at number 43. A lot of his downside is baked into two factors. The fact that, I mean, is Frank Gore going to be back? Do we know that yet? 
No, but even if he is, he was irrelevant in the last couple of weeks. He was, but he still comes in like when they ice games and they're up by a bunch. They go like, Frank Gore doesn't fumble. Let's give him the ball. So that's one thing. <laughs> and they just were like, hey, we're on the two-yard line. If Josh Allen Get to the st- number two thing because the number two thing is the biggest problem. Okay, the biggest problem is that Josh Allen steals all the touchdowns. Now, this was a problem in Carolina for years when Cam was rushing for a bunch of touchdowns. But as we've seen year over year over year over year, that – Rushing touchdowns from quarterbacks are about the most variant thing that you can find. Some year they're a bunch. Other years they're just marginally low. Remember the Cam year? Oh, he only rushed for two touchdowns. He sucks at rushing now. They rush for 10 the next year. Like, (laughs) a lot of it is very circumstantial that if Josh Allen goes through a situation where he doesn't rush for, let's say, 10 touchdowns, he rushes for three or four, something like that, you can't project them all onto Devin Singletary, but if you give him the goal line back role along with everything else you assume, he's playing like 75% of the snaps, it just feels like you're getting a workhorse running back with a bit of like touchdown variance around him, obviously, um, two rounds cheaper than everyone else who's in the same mold as him. Uh, so I understand all those arguments, but I don't think that they're going into next year saying, let's give Devin Singletary the ball 20 plus times a game because let's talk about his size. And I look at it, just forget forget the Josh Allen part of the equation. I, I said I wanted you to get to number two because that is the biggest concern. But to play your scenario where that doesn't happen and it is the backfield, I think it's Aaron Jones-like. And I, I, I know that we've now brought up Aaron Jones three times, but I think he's a good barometer for some of these other situations that should be the same, like Austin Eckler. And I think Devin Singletary falls into this group. Devin Singletary, I don't think is going to be asked to be like Nick Chubb and run the ball three times in a row from the number two, from the two yard line. I don't think he's going to be asked like Leonard Fournette to run the ball 20 times inside the 10. I think if you look at Devin Singletary and his size, that's a legitimate thought that goes through coaches' minds of holding them up through that entire season because they know how talented he is. They know how talented Aaron Jones is. They know how talented Austin Eckler is. But if you want the best chance to succeed and for the long term of a season, you don't treat a running back like that with that kind of pounding. And I do think whether it's Frank Gore or more likely they draft somebody or, again, another situation where Jordan Howard would make sense. I don't love – you know I don't love Jordan Howard, but he kind of makes sense. Carlos Carlos Hyde kind of in that role is somebody else to take that pounding. And I don't think that Singletary is ever going to see 10-plus touchdowns because of that. All right. Jake Seeley, the Twitter, is all on kid. You can find him at The Athletic. Dot com covering everyone's favorite fantasy baseball. Yeah. Oh god. But you're Go Padres. Kid. Screw the Mets. Are you've given up so you've given up on the Giants and Mets and you have new teams? Uh, I told you I'm fa- I'm fine with the Giants as soon as they get rid of Gettleman, whatever that might happen. Or if, if he tr- fools all of us and he is some type of genius or whatever. I just I, I can't I get frustrated with the Mets with that whole Will Ponds and the selling and now they want to control and they want to redo the deal and the other guy pulled out like whatever. I'm so done with that organization. Like go Pete Alonso, I root for the players still. But you know what, Pat? You know what? No, listen, fuck that organization. Go Padres. <laughs> all right. Combine. What are you looking forward to? We'll talk to you like once you get back. And obviously, like we said, we recorded this a bit before the combine. So you're there right now. You went last year, right? Yep. So what do you look for when you go there? Uh, so I cut. So last year, this is from Emory Hunt, who I think is the best scout in the world. He told me a great question to ask, and I took it from him. He said, go ahead and do it. Ask them what's their most underrated skill and got great answers from most of the players. And what that did is not only one, let me look at tape and say, you know what, is this something that because of their use, you might overlook like Leonard Fournette and Darius Geis are perfect examples of good pass catchers from college that their offense didn't use in that way because LSU was running an offense from 1990. The other one is like when you hear these things, like you might also get a trend. Like I got a lot of answers last year 
oh, I'm better in pass blocking. I'm better in passing game than people realize because they know that's where the NFL is headed. So you look and you say, all right, well, maybe that guy's full of crap. But you kind of look at these things. You kind of get trends for know what these players are doing. And then, too, is you can kind of find extra things on film where, you know, maybe they don't appreciate it. Unless you talk to Debo Samuel. I told you. I asked Debo Samuel. He looked at me and said, oh, great question. I don't know. Thanks, Debo. It turns out he has no underrated skills. They're all <laughs> made very Touché. aware to him. <laughs> Touche. Uh, all right, Jake, you can, are you going to be like tweeting out, posting videos or anything like that, or just saving it all and doing it after? Oh, you, you want the, you want the crotch shot from, from John Elway, like I did last year? Yeah. I'll see if I can do that again this year. <laughs> yeah, John Elway package shot. I like it. <laughs> as he, as he said, inline tight end three times and then didn't draft one. <laughs> No, they drafted uh, Noah Fant, didn't they? Yeah, but he's not an inline tight end. That's true. Noah Fant, by the way, if you want the, like the Mark Andrews of next year, it's Noah Fant and Hawkinson, both of them. Yeah, maybe Hawkinson. Didn't he like break? Hawkinson's his never or... coming off the field next year. He's going to be out there like ninety percent of the time. Maybe, but he has to, he has to stop like trying to leap people. It's not a good idea. <laughs> Everyone in football they... should stop trying yes. to hurdle people. I was just about to say, everybody in football, please stop. <laughs> I know it makes for a nice highlight, leads to a lot of injuries. <laughs> Uh, Jake, again, theathletic.com, Owen Kid on Twitter. Me, you can follow at the PME on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you want to get into the draw for 100 DraftKings dollars, subscribe to the Pat Mayo Experience audio podcast. Leave a five-star review, DraftKings handle, something you enjoy about the show. For the video version, smash the like, leave your DraftKings handle, and tell me who your number two overall pick would be in this upcoming fantasy football season if Christian McCaffrey is already off the board. Thank you all for watching. More football to come. I'm Pat Mayo. And I'll see you next time. Experience. Experience.